As far as someone who's shaped my faith, I've, I've been here at Highland Church of Christ for almost 20 years. Um, so there's been a lot of different people that have stepped into that gap for me. Uh, but one person kind of sticks out. Her name was Brenda Crane. And uh, for those of you that have been here for a while, you know that name, you know her well, knew her well. Uh, she was a much loved uh, matriarch of this church. She was the lady that would take new members out to lunch. And that was where my wife Gretchen and I first met her and just fell in love with her then. Uh, and getting to eat lunch with her almost daily for oh, probably the 10 years, 10 plus years we worked together was just a joy. You just, there was just always sweet things coming from her mouth and I don't think I ever heard her say a bad word about anybody. I was also blessed enough to get baptized in her backyard in a little fishing hole she had there. Later got the joy of purchasing that property from her and that's where we now live. Um, and she was just so gracious in uh, letting us buy that place. Uh, there's a real story there that I can tell you, but I'm not gonna do it now because I'd start crying and we don't wanna go there. But uh, a phenomenal lady that was always a positive influence on me. And speaking toward the, the blessing of getting baptized in Brenda's backyard leads me into another person that has uh, helped shape my spiritual walk, and uh, that would be my father-in-law, and he was the one that baptized me in, in that pond. Poppy's just always been a great guy to be around, hardworking, uh, just a faithful Bible-reading man that, you know, kind of makes you want to be a little more like him and easy to get along with. He's just a good, good man. And then got the joy of seeing him baptize our son, Ethan, in that same water hole. Like I say, my father-in-law has always been a good father figure and uh, he's probably sitting right out there about midway, a little closer to front maybe, a little left of center, but uh, just a good man and, and somebody to walk after and follow in his footsteps. Happy Father's Day. Would you uh, stand with the, please stand for the reading from 1 Peter chapter 4. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers, to, covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to, the one, to one another without grumbling. Each of you should should use whatever gift you have uh, received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace and its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Um, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good uh, to have you with us here today. My name is Shane Hughes. I'm one of the ministers here. And if you're here in the auditorium or you're with us online, it's good to have you here. Uh, we are grateful for this time together. And we've been in this series we're calling Sanctuary. I think I've found this new um, joy of finding made-up words and putting them as titles of sermon series. I think that's my thing. 
This sanctuary, this building, it's not a mortuary is a place for the dead, or a reliquary is a place for relics. Sanctuary is a place for God's people. And when you come close to the sanctuary, when you, when you enter into this place, you realize it's not a building made of lumber and steel or stones, but a people. A people who are gathered together. A people who all want the same thing. And because we're all gathered to desire that same thing, what we find out is that our differences don't matter as much as we thought they did. The areas where we disagree don't matter as much because what we have in common is so much more. We're entering into the part of the text where Peter wants to give us some advice. And this happens a lot in the New Testament. You can remember kind of that hard change in Romans chapter 4 where Paul says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices And after that sentence, the the tone of the letter kind of changes. He's no longer doing the deep theology of the reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles and the powerful grace of God that brings everyone, because we're all sinners, together through Jesus Christ. But he says, okay, in light of that, this is how we live. And I got to be honest, in most of our upbringing, in, in the churches of Christ, or even just in the West, we're probably way more fascinated with the theology than the practicality. I think probably you hear a lot more sermons about who God is and who Jesus is and, and the intricacies of that, and maybe that's just the way it is for us. We're an intellectual movement. And so when we get to the practical stuff, we're like kind of, yeah, 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 we get it. But I want us to pause today, and if you have your Bibles with you, open it up to 1 Peter chapter 4, because I want us to think about, in an imaginative way, how Peter might have got there. I mean, we have walked through this entire book together, and and what we've seen Peter do is, is tell us how that before we were a people, before we were strangers, before we were exiled, before we were lost, God brought us together, and we became chosen, and we became royal, and we became valuable. We became God's people. And you are God's people, even though you may have to suffer for a little time. Not the kind of suffering that you deserve. Not the kind of suffering because you mess it up. The kind of suffering that you endure for the name of Jesus. The social isolation or the, the, the rift that causes between husbands and wives or parents and children, slaves and masters. Some of the, the life that just kind of happened in the first century. Peter says, even though it's hard, there's something better. Kingdom is coming. Kingdom is unfolding. It's unfolding all around you, and you just have to have the eyes to see it. Meaningless suffering is just pain, but suffering for purpose. It transcends what you're going through. It transcends the moment you're in, and it helps you lift your eyes above what you're dealing with and see the story of God moving behind the scenes. And so Peter wants some advice wants to give some advice. And I couldn't help think reading this text how much Peter must have been informed by the life he lived. 
Now I'm gonna geek out for just a second. If this isn't for you, just hold on, we're coming to another spot. I know that there's this question about authorship. Did, did the actual Peter actually write this thing? I mean, after all, he was, a, he was a fisherman from Galilee. How could he write this Greek that's so eloquent? Well, Savannah's helped him. And there is at the end of the letter, it talks about, you know, and my son Mark also sends his greeting. And, and some have said, well, it's actually Mark that wrote this. And that maybe that's the same Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark. Maybe, who knows? He was a good writer. The, there's two things you need to know. First of all, in the first century, it didn't really matter. If you write in the spirit of somebody's name, it is as if they were writing in themselves, especially if you are that devoted disciple that followed in the footsteps of that person diligently for years and years and years, the way that John Mark followed Peter, that, that would have been just fine for them. And the spirit of Peter was the same as Peter. Or it could be that Peter wrote this, that Peter had been transformed by the experience of leading, the tradition says, the church in Rome. He kind of makes that reference to Babylon at the end of chapter 5, you know, the, 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 the heart of Rome, that he had been transformed and changed. A lot of us know that's true. The first 40 years of our life were radically different than the last 40, and that doesn't even feel like the same person. So I want a little leeway for some of you theological author, author scholarship literary whatever scholars uh, textual critics i want a little leeway here i want you to grant it to me and i want you to use your imagination as we move into this text rather than your mind I remember the day that my father washed me out of rabbi school. He said it was because he needed help on the boats. He said that there just wasn't enough hands, hired hands to do the work, and he needed a son. Peter, it's time for you to learn a trade. It's time for you to grow up, become a man. What most people don't know is that my father, he was doing me a favor. I, I was halfway through Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, halfway through Deuteronomy. And I just couldn't learn anymore. It was too much. And they all knew. I was just a fisherman's kid. I wasn't going to become anybody important or special. And so I left the school, and I began working with my father. Do you know the worst part about fishing? It's mending the nets. What you have to do is imagine a ball of yarn that's the size of about a 12-year-old, and it's all messed up, and that's your job. You just got to untangle it, and you're sitting in the beach under the sun, and that's your job for half the day is untangling the net that no matter how well you untangle it, it's just going to get just as knotted the next time they go out with the boat. And this is going to be the rest of my life. Early in the morning, wake up, put the boat out, see what we can catch, come back, sell it, 
untangle the nets, go to bed early so I can get it up and do the same the next day, go out early, see what we can catch, come back, sell it, untangle the nets, day after day after day. I think it was the moment that I saw my grandfather die and the moment that my father's heart began to give out that I knew this isn't life. This is a prison. And so it was one, one day when we were out there, we were messing with those nets, trying to untangle that knotted mess again, that a man comes up behind us and he says, Peter. And I knew who that was. That was Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, come and follow me. I still hadn't finished Deuteronomy. I wasn't rabbi material. But he looked me in the eye and he says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I don't know about you, but I knew exactly what I was going to do. I dropped those nets. I walked away. Any life would be better than the life that I was living. But you know what I was? I was chosen. I had given a second chance, and I was going to do everything I could. And so I followed Jesus as closely as I could. I was going to be a good disciple to choke on the dust of the feet of my rabbi so that I would know exactly what's happening. And we went around from Nazareth to Jerusalem and back, and I saw things that you would never believe. I saw demons come out of people with shrieks. I saw a little girl raised from the dead. I saw Jesus heal people from leprosy, restore their sight, restore their hearing. But there's one day that I will never forget. We were out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. We were about halfway across when a, a storm came up. Now, the Sea of Galilee is just kind of like an overgrown lake. But when that wind starts to blow, that shop is real. And I'd been a fisherman my whole life. And this was a storm, and I was afraid. There was only one thing that we could do. It was, it was just to bail the water out, bail the water out, try to row to shore, to any shore, just get as close as we can. Jesus is in the back, sleeping. We're all struggling for our lives. And we wake him up. Jesus, don't you care? We're about to die. And Jesus says, peace, be still. Chaos of the water stopped. And he looks at us and he says, don't you understand? Don't you know who I am? Of course we didn't understand. How could any of us understand what was going on, who he said he was and, and what he was going to do? I mean, we had hopes. We, we talked about it with each other. We hoped that, that, that Jesus was the one, that he would be the Messiah, that he would finally conquer, the, kick out the Romans, and, and, and we would be a, a new nation again, just like it was with King David. That's what we were hoping for, that he could show us the way. And so there was this one moment when he asked us, he said, who do the people say I am? Oh, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist, back from the dead. But he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And just for a moment, like it all clicked in my brain. Have you ever had that moment where suddenly the planets align and everything makes sense and I knew the right answer? I never knew the right answer when I was going to rabbi school, but today I did. I said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And it's like a, a moment of recognition flashed in Jesus' eyes. And he looked at me and he nodded and he said, okay. And then he began to tell us what was going to happen next. That he would have to suffer and die. Now, wait a minute, Jesus, that's not, that's not what we signed up for here. Jesus, that's not the story that you're trying to tell. I think you're confused a little bit, Jesus. And so I, I took him aside and I said, no, you're not going to suffer and die. You're going to be the king. The Romans aren't going to kill you. We're going to storm them out. And he looked at me and it was like that recognition turned from joy to anger. And he said, get behind me, Satan. Have you ever been called Satan before? Accuser. Tempter. We didn't, we didn't understand. And I got to tell you, I felt in that moment exactly like I felt when I was eight years old. And they asked for me to recite Deuteronomy 24. I don't, don't get it. And so we continue for a little while longer, and we hear that Lazarus died. Lazarus was one of Jesus' close friends, and, and it was in Bethany, which is really close to Jerusalem. And, and as, as we're getting closer and closer, Jesus is getting more and more troubled. He, he, it's like he kind of slowed down as he was going. And we get there, and we find out Jesus, Lazarus is already dead. And Jesus weeps, mourning the loss of his friend. We knew what Jesus was going to do, and he weeped anyway. And he calls Lazarus out. Now, I think the people in Jerusalem heard about Jesus. I, they had sent people up to check it out. He was this prophet that was up in Galilee. He was from Nazareth. Nothing comes out of Nazareth. He was traveling around. He was an itinerant preacher. But when he raised Lazarus from the dead that close to Jerusalem, they could no longer deny his power. And in, in Jerusalem, in the city, the stories began to spread. And, and it was this like kind of unstoppable moment. It was a watershed where, where Jesus had turned a corner and he knew his destiny. And so when we gathered at Passover, he knew it was going to be his last. And we're up in an upper room. We're, we're celebrating together. And then there's this awkward moment. Jesus, he takes a towel and he wraps it around his waist. He gets down on his knees and he starts washing our feet. This is not what a rabbi is supposed to do. This is not the way the story is supposed to go, Jesus. And so he comes to me, and he begins to wash my feet. And I say, it's not your job to wash my feet, Lord. It's my job to wash your feet. And he looks me in the eye again, and there's that click of recognition. And he says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. And so I say, not just my feet, Lord, my hands, my head, all of me, wash it all. He says, Peter, you're clean. You don't need a bath. He says, though... Not all of you. And his eyes drifted from mine to Judas. And Judas got up and left. 
I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. This isn't the story that was supposed to happen. But Jesus, we all go to the garden to, to, to pray, and the, the Roman soldiers come. And, and I, John and I, I follow, we follow. They take him away. We follow him. And, and I'm in the courtyard. I'm just, I have to see what's going on. I have to stay close to my rabbi. That's my job. And someone comes up to me and says, hey, I know you. You're one of Jesus' followers. No. Not me. Not me. Somebody else says, no, no, I've, I've seen you with him. I know you're one of Jesus' followers. I don't know what you're talking about. You have me confused with somebody else. No, 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 says a third person. You sound like a Galilean. You're one of them. And I say, I don't know the man. And I look across the courtyard. And our eyes lock. And it's not joy or anger or mirth. It's sadness in his eyes. What Judas did was no different than what I did. What Judas did was no different than what I did. And they killed my rabbi that day. And I don't know what you would do, but I just did what I knew. Went back to fishing. Go back to my old life. It's what killed my grandfather, what ruined my father's heart, but it's, it's all I have. It's all that's left. And so I'm just kind of turning my heart and my mind to go that way. And, and suddenly one of the women bursts in and they said, we saw Jesus, he was alive. What did, what did you say? We went to the tomb. It was rolled away. There were angels. And they said, go tell Peter and the apostles, I'm alive. Did you hear that? Go tell Peter and the apostles. He still wants something out of me. He still thinks there's something good at me. I don't know if you've ever had a second chance, but I know exactly what I'm going to do with mine. And a few days later, we're fishing. And Jesus is there on the shore, and he's made breakfast. And so we come in, and we eat with him, and he, and he looks at me, and our eyes lock, and he says, do you love me? And I said, Lord, you know I do. And he says again, do you love me? And I said, Lord, you know I do. And he says the last time, do you love me? And it hurt at that point because he asked three times. And I said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then he said, feed my sheep. And so, brothers and sisters, what I want you to know is that our God is a God of second chances. Our God sees what's broken, not for its way that it's ruined, but the potential it has inside. That our God is going to see something in you that nobody else can see. That if you feel washed up and abandoned, that the world has beat the tar out of you and there's nothing left, Jesus sees something in you that you had no idea. And that you're not always going to get it. 
You're not always going to understand the purpose of God or God's will in your life or what direction the kingdom is moving. And sometimes you're going to do some things that get in the way, and that's okay. Because love, love, it covers a multitude of sins. Sometimes you're going to say the wrong things or think the wrong things or do the wrong things. And so what I want you to hear is that be careful. Be careful with what you say and what you do and how you treat one another. Always open your house and your heart for space to love others, to let, let somebody draw near, somebody to become close, because if they can draw near to you, they're going to draw near to God. And take care of each other. Even when it's hard, even when it feels like there's not enough love or money or time or energy to go around, take care of each other. Feed. Feed God's sheep. Because you are no longer exiles or strangers. You've been brought to a people called chosen. You are no longer scattered or scared. You've you've been brought to a people called royal. You are no longer sinful or selfish. We have been brought to a people called holy. God is creating for us a sanctuary, a building not built with stones and mortar, but with human hearts and lives that build on one another. And we stand on those who have gone before us who have shown us what Jesus looks like and the look in their eyes and the kindness of their voice and the softness of their hands. We have been transformed. We are being formed into God's temple. And what you've seen the last few weeks are a few of those stories that have happened in this church, but I think each of us have a dozen stories like that. Someone that showed you what Jesus looked like or sounded like or how he loved because they did it in their own lives. There are a million of those stories. So live a life that others can build on. Be careful with what you say and what you do and how you act. Choose to, be, choose to live a life that someone else can build on. We've told this story before, but it fascinates me. Medieval cathedrals were built with the full knowledge of the architects and the first masons that they wouldn't be finished in their lifetime. They would not see the end of their work, but they began the process anyway. And I got to tell you the truth, that's what it means to be in this living temple, that you're going to spend your life being building upon a result, a, a, a castle, a temple, a place that you will never see the completion of. But we do it anyway, because it's what God has called us to do. You have that person in your life. I want to encourage you to be that person for someone else. And most of us could look around this room if we've been here any amount of time. You might be brand new, and that's okay. You don't know these stories yet. You're about to learn them, and I'm a little jealous. It's kind of like the first time you get to read a really awesome book. Uh, I'm glad you're here because there are some really powerful examples of what Jesus looks like in this room. 
Most of us could look around this room and see the stories of the living stones, those that have been brought out of exile, those that have been made holy, those that were out of, without a people that became a people. And we could tell those stories about the impact that it made to us. We're going to do something today that's kind of special. It's something we've never done before. You may not know this, but our baptistry up there, unless you've been up there, it has this little lip on the inside. You can't see it from there. But if you're, if you're in the water, it's, it's easy to see. And we've been asking ourselves, what do we do with that space? Well, we want to create a living memorial of those that have gone before us. We want to build a real example of the sanctuary. And so this is what I want to invite you to do. In just a moment, we're going to sing. There are some uh, gray plastic boxes. They're scattered around the room. There's a few over there. There's some at the front of the auditorium. There's a few on that side. And I want to invite you in just a moment to come forward. Our, our worship team's coming up now. In just a moment to come forward, and I want you to take one of those rocks. And I want you to do one or two things, or both, it's up to you. I want you to write the initials of someone who came before you that made a difference. Someone that changed your life. And we've heard so many stories over the last six weeks of those in our church that have been deeply affected by someone else who just chose to be a good disciple, chose to be a follower. And maybe you write down those initials. Maybe on a separate rock or you turn that rock upside down, put your own initials. And and let it be a dedication. Let it be a dedication, a commitment that you're going to make of the intention of being that to someone else. Not by intentionally trying to like go out of your way to be an example, but just by following Jesus so intently with your life that you can't help it. It's just going to come out of your pores. And someone else, 20 or 30 or 40 years down the line, is going to be filmed in a video. And they're going to say, I need to tell you the story of the person who baptized me. I need to tell you the story of the person that shaped and changed me I need to tell you how God used them to make my life different. So in just a moment, we're going to have a lot of time to sing. Um, So everybody doesn't have to come up at once, but you can if if you're ready, if you know what you want to do. Uh, Come here to the front, take one of those rocks and a pen, write those initials down, put it in the the empty bin uh, while we sing together. Will you please stand while we sing? was that elementary school teacher who taught you what love looked like when you were in the most awkward time of your life. It was the college professor that answered the deep longings and the deep questions that you had in your heart. It was that spiritual aunt and uncle that came to every single one of your basketball games, whether you won or lost, they didn't care, they cheered you on. Brothers and sisters, I wish you could see the stadium of believers who stand behind you, cheering you on, who encourage you, who love you, who pray for you, who hope the best for you. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order 
that you might proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, it is time to live in marvelous light. It is time to see the sanctuary. It is time to be the sanctuary and witness as God changes our world. We're gonna have some of these rocks in the atrium. Uh, so if you know somebody that missed this week and you know they would wanna be a part of this, we're gonna have the opportunity uh, for them to share. Uh, so there's gonna be more opportunity. And if, if, if coming forward at the end of a service is, is too triggering for you, it is for me, um, I get it. You can come and just do it after everybody's gone. Our prayer team is coming up right now. Uh, they're going to be available for you after we dismiss. If you need someone to, to pray for you or to talk with you, if it's a cup of coffee on a Tuesday afternoon, uh, these people are, are happy to spend that time to invest in you. Let us leave with this benediction. That Christ will go before you and behind you and above you and beneath you. That there's no place that you can go where the arm of God cannot reach, where the love of God is not already there. Our God who gives second chances and third chances and fourth chances, a God who chooses you even when you do not feel worthy, a God who is kind to us even when we do not deserve it, has made you a people, has made you royal, has made you holy. So be light. Let us together shine God's marvelous light to everyone that sees. May you see God's beauty this week. May you go in peace.